Good morning, everyone. Uh, greetings on a, another Lord's Day when um, we are apart from one another and yet united to one another uh, by faith in Christ. It's uh, good to be with you all. Um, as a reminder, uh, later today at 4.30, you can join in on a church-wide prayer meeting. Uh, an email was sent out yesterday with information. And after the prayer meeting, uh, for those of you that may be interested, we will um, continue our discussion in the um, series, Who is the Holy Spirit? So um, I hope some of you or all of you can join us this afternoon. Well, we are here at uh, the third message from our new series, Our Only Comfort. Um, that expression comes from the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one. And our series is, is hopefully going to help orient us to God's word and anchor us in God's word. Question one, um, as you recall, uh, goes like this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Um, this is uh, the most important question that's being asked today. Uh, maybe not in those exact words, but I think it's being asked in one way or another. Where is my security? Where is my protection? Where is my refuge? Where is my hope? What is my only comfort in life and in death? Well, in organizing and summarizing the teaching of God's Word, the Heidelberg Catechism provides a clear answer to that question that is both concise and comprehensive. Let's listen to that answer again, to the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on, to live from him. Peter, in his first letter, writes this, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, I think Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, will help us be prepared to answer anyone including ourselves, as we cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. And with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do believe. But we also know that there are areas in our life where we do not believe. And so, Father, just as Jesus responded to the man who cried out, I believe, help my unbelief, would you respond to that cry of our hearts as well? Would you provide what we need to know, not only to share the hope that we have, but to rest in the hope that we have through Jesus? For we pray in his name. Amen. Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1563. 129 questions, and the first and second questions set up the entire catechism. 
You may recall there's three sections, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Or uh, if you don't like G's, how about S's? Sin, salvation, and service. Last week, uh, when we looked at the comfort of belonging, we asked, why is there comfort in belonging? I mean, who of us wants to belong to someone else? And yet, there is great comfort because of who we are, we are not our own. And who, there's great comfort in, because of who Jesus is. He is our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There is great comfort in our relationship with him. And what does that comfort, what does that security produce? As we said last week, it produces two things at least, humility and boldness. How is humility and boldness, how are they produced? Well, because we know we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are safe and secure because we're saved not on the basis of our works, but rather we're saved on the basis of the works of another. Here's the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one in just nine words. What is your only comfort? I belong to Jesus. And yet we've heard Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one gives us a few more words about Jesus. Jesus who is described as my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to look, beginning today, at aspects of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He saves. And if you look at how the catechism unfolds, today we're going to be looking at this fully paid for all my sins, but then we will see he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil, and then he watches over me. Um, there's almost an aspect of uh, well, past and, and present and, and future. Uh, we'll see past primarily today and next week, kind of the present reality and then the future reality. There is today pardon from the penalty of sin. We will see freedom from the present uh, power of sin and eventual escape from the very presence of sin, sin itself. So important to remind ourselves that we've got to take this catechism, we've got to take this question and answer personally as well as corporately. Remember, the question is asked in the second person, what is your only comfort? And yet the answer is answered in the first person, uh, that I am not my own. Uh, again, it, it, it's to be taken personally as the catechism speaks to us. It's almost like an autobiography that we ourselves write. But this catechism is a confession of faith for the church as well because we've been seeing and will see that my only comfort becomes our only comfort. And my friends, that is so important for the in the days to come. I've listened to some recent um, speeches by the governors of Ohio and Kentucky, and they, in their own words, say we're in this together. We're all in this current situation with this pandemic, we're all in it together. If that's true for citizens of Ohio and Kentucky, how much more so is that true for the church of Jesus Christ? We're all in this together. Remember uh, from, from our text that we get uh, uh, grace, as in uh, grace and peace, from Titus 2.14, it speaks of 
of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And Peter writes in his first letter, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are in it together. We're all in it together. Well, the question asked is of utmost importance, and the answer given is of supreme greatness. Uh, Think with me about a classroom dialogue. A student asks a question, and and the teacher says, now that's a good question. But isn't it great also when you give an answer, and and the teacher says, now that's a great answer. Well, today, we're going to begin to plumb the depths of the greatness of the answer that's found in God's word that we see here um, in the Heidelberg Catechism. First, let's consider an astonishing statement. He has fully paid. Again, describing Jesus, our, our faithful Savior, he has fully paid. The payment is both comprehensive, it's full, and the pay. The, the, the payment is both is also completed. It is done. It is over. There is nothing left to do. He has fully comprehensive, paid, completed. Think with me for a moment about debt, in particular financial debt. Uh, those of you who have taken loans, you know there's times when you're making payments on the loan that it gets a little stressful Am I going to have enough to make the payment? Sometimes there's, there's, uh, there's not enough and, and the stress and the worry and the anxiety. How am I going to pay? Well, think about this with me for a moment. Imagine that someone borrows your car. They borrow your car, they back it out of the driveway, Uh, they're not paying attention, and they back across the street into the neighbor's gate, knock the gate down and part of a wall. Yes, you've got insurance, but you don't have insurance to cover uh, that particular uh, damage. And, And really, you have two options here. You demand that the person that paid, that borrowed your car pay for the damages, or you refuse to let him pay. And maybe there's some kind of middle ground where both of you pay a little bit, but at the end of the day, the cost of the damage, the cost to repair will be paid by someone. Either he, the one who borrowed your car, absorbs the cost, or you absorb the cost. The debt doesn't just magically disappear. What Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one is is telling us is that Jesus absorbs the cost for the damage that you and I have done, the damage that you and I have caused through sin. He has fully paid. We're going to explore this statement now by considering both Prepositions and pronouns. Kids, learning English grammar really does help you understand God's word better. He has fully paid. Now, 
For what was payment made? Well, the answer continues. He has fully paid for all my sins. All my sins. Well, let's... Let's think for a moment about a couple of aspects of sin. Uh, I'm calling it the mess we're in, original sin. Uh, Our relationship with with God is broken. We are alienated and estranged from God. Think about um, the Old and New Testament readings for today from Isaiah 6 and and 1 Peter. They both speak of the holiness of God and, and, and the sinfulness of man. Well, the mess we're in is due to original sin, the sin of our first parents. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they rebelled. They broke God's law. And so we, everyone descending from them, are born with a sinful nature. It's in our DNA. We're born into a sinful and fallen world. And yet we're also born with a sinful nature. There is sin outside of us and there is sin within us. We're in a mess. But not only do we find ourselves in a mess, as it were, of no fault of our own, but we've also made a mess. There is actual sin. Because of our sinful nature, we sin in thought and word and deed. In fact, there... Uh, Paul writes to the Roman church, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, for we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My friends, there it is, the pandemic of sin, the worldwide um, disease of sin that is everywhere. There's no place outside of being contaminated by sin. It is it, is an infection that has run rampant from the moment our first parents disobeyed God, the pandemic of sin. Paul, in his letter to Titus, I, I think captures uh, this well. In, in Before he talks about we're, we're saved um, uh, not by our own works, but by the the, the through the mercy of God, he, he says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Let that sink in for a moment. Here's our situation. We are hated by others. People sin against us, and we, before Christ rescues us, all we do is hate one another. We sin against one another. My friends, we are in a mess and we have made a mess. Paul says it very clearly, for the wages of sin is death. We've earned it. We have rightly been penalized. There's no um, replay necessary from the official up in the booth or back in New York. No, the wages of sin is death. We've all earned it. We've all rightly been penalized. We need help. We need help. Where will this help come from? I want us to think for a moment about what we've already seen in the book of Acts, the the preaching of the gospel in Acts. Um, In 1 Corinthians uh, 15 is is kind of a, a shorthand summary statement of the gospel. Here what Paul writes 
in chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Did you hear it? Christ died. Historical fact. Why? For our sins. And we see that throughout Acts already. The preaching of the gospel, the good news. Christ died for our sins. You see, comprehensive payment was made, was completed for our sins. Okay, but how? How was payment made? Well, let's continue. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Now that language probably comes directly from 1 Peter 1 verse 19 that speaks of the precious blood of Christ. You know, when you make a purchase, the merchant often says, well, how would you like to pay? Cash, credit, or check? Scripture doesn't really give us those kind of options. Well, we come up with those options. How are we going to make things right? How are we going to fix what's broken? We, we, we try to, as it were, pay cash. Well, maybe we, we, we pay credit. Maybe we write a check. But Peter rightly says, no, payment is made with his precious blood. You see, payment is made for the penalty of sin. And here we introduce the doctrine of the atonement. You see, the atonement means that there is a, there's uh, two parties that are alienated can be reconciled. Um, a relationship that is broken can be restored. Now, according to Scripture, um, God has provided a way for atonement to be made. Think with me about the Passover, Exodus 12. Blood was shed. Blood was, a lamb was sacrificed. Blood was uh, on the doorpost and, and the angel of the Lord passed over the homes of the Israelites. But the wrath of God was poured out on those who did not, were not covered by the blood. And then we see beginning in in Leviticus, the sacrificial system, the the types and shadows of how sinful man was right, how that relationship with the holy God was to be maintained through sacrifice, through the shedding of blood. And the Old Testament types and shadows point forward to the reality the reality of the one to come. John says it in John 1, 29. The next day, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the Old Testament prepared for that one spotless lamb without blemish to come. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of Jesus, the precious blood, well, it's a bloody mess, isn't it? I mean, here we are on Palm Sunday. The king enters triumphant. By the end of the week, that king 
has worn a crown of thorns and has died upon a cross, a cross, a bloody cross. Think with me for a moment about the writing in the New Testament on the blood of Jesus. Paul writes of the church of God being obtained with his own blood. Ephesians, Paul writes and says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Colossians, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peter writes that we aren't ransomed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That perfect lamb was slain. And my friends, there is blood everywhere. Our salvation is not neat and clean and sterile. It's a bloody mess. The women have been studying 2 Samuel, and in 2 Samuel, you just get a a bigger picture and a better understanding of the preparatory work for Christ, one sacrifice for all on the cross. All the blood that was shed, all the blood, the goriness, the mess. I think we're all tempted to, to put crosses up that are clean and neat and sanitized. My friends, rejoice that our salvation was costly. It cost the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll just summarize it here, um, it's not with the blood of animals that were made right. No, it's with the blood of Jesus, that one sacrifice for all, once and for all. You know, there's bad news with this debt. There is bad news with this penalty of sin. Uh, We can't pay it. Try as we hard, we're in debt over our head. Try as we hard, the penalty is just too great for any of us to pay. But the good news is payment has been made. Someone else has paid for us. We could have sung Rock of Ages today. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. The cross where Jesus died. The cross, the bloody cross of Jesus. This question organizes and summarizes the good news of the gospel. It provides a clear answer that is at once concise and comprehensive. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Our hymn of response today is, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. It's reflective, it's contemplative, and it's good. But I want to suggest also that sometime later today, sometime later this week, we also sing a hymn of rejoicing. Thy works not mine, O Christ.
number 524 in the Trinity Hymnal. Hear a few of these words. Thy works not mine, O Christ, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. Thy pains not mine, O Christ, upon the shameful tree have paid the law's full price and purchased peace for me. Thy cross not mine, O Christ, has borne the awful load of sins that none in heaven or earth could bear but God. Thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of thee. And this hymn asked that question over and over again. To whom save thee, who canst alone for sin atone, Lord, shall I free? And finally, we're coming up on Good Friday. Those of you that are familiar with the last words of Jesus on the cross are familiar with John 19.30. It is finished. Earlier in verse 28 is another, it's finished. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's completed. It's done. And in the Greek of the day, that expression, it is finished, it is done, was actually written on a bill. Much like today when you pay a bill and it is stamped, paid in full. My friends, the Christian's comfort, our comfort, my comfort, your security is found in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He, through his life and his death, has stamped it, paid in full. For the Christian, for those who can humbly and confidently and affirm and declare that they belong to Jesus Christ, my friends, that stamp paid in full is wonderful, amazing, great news. News that has come from the outside to us. Oh, my friends, rejoice that our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, has finished the work. The penalty for our sins is paid in full by him. Rest assured. Rest in Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that Jesus, who spoke only truth, said it is finished. It is paid in full. Oh, Father, we thank you that our Savior is faithful. We thank you that Jesus Christ really does save. Oh, Father, we believe. Would you be pleased to help us in our unbelief? Help us to remember. Help us to rejoice that the penalty for our sins has been paid, has been fully paid by Jesus Christ. Help us to remember and rejoice, for we pray in his name. Amen.